want to carry on from last week, we were talking about knowing God. And knowing God is not a subject that any person is an authority on. They're just not. There's never a, an end to that. There really is not. But I, something that I'm passionate about, I know with all my heart, and it's taken me some years to understand this, that one of the things, one of the, the chief things that God has called me to personally is to let people understand, is to assist, is to show people the depth of relationship that God has called them to. Almost everything I preach, I, I didn't realize this until my wife pointed it out and then I started to see it. Everything I talk about it always comes back to that relationship that we are called to have with the Lord because everything flows from that. Everything. Everything. And so last week, we talked about the surpassing value of knowing Christ out of Philippians 3. And the Bible says that we've been called into a relationship, into the fellowship of the Son. That's not relationship with Jesus, that we've been called into the fellowship that the Son and the Father has together. We've been called into that fellowship, to that degree, to that level of fellowship. That's what actually we have been called into. And who knows Ephesians 4, the fivefold ministry? Evangelist, pastor, prophet, apostle. It says, when Christ ascended, he gave gifts to men. It's quoting Psalm 68. But in Psalm 68, it says, he received gifts from man. It's a revelation that I'm trusting God really puts in your heart. And so what had happened is he had given them all these gifts when they left Egypt, gold and silver, and they were made enriched. And then he said, I want those gifts back. For those who are willing to bring it from the heart, from the relationship, I want them back. And they said, uh, okay, why? And then they gave it back to the Lord, and he touched their surrender of what he had already given them. And in a sense, that's what they made the tabernacle of. That's what they made a place, uh, an abode, a place for God to dwell. And so there's many people that have gifts. They carry supernatural gifts. They carry uh, different types of gifts, even talents, even practical talents, sport. Can I say even finance? The Bible said it is him who has given you the ability to create wealth. It's anything that we have, the Bible says, all good things come from above. And we start to get into a relationship with the Lord, and He releases such, He touches your heart. And He becomes more important to you, He becomes more real to you, genuinely real. Not a, a form, not a shadow, not a type, not a, I go to church. He becomes genuinely real to you, and He becomes more important to you than anything that He's given you. And you begin to hold very loosely what you once fought for. And you're like, Lord, that, you are my prize. I'm yours. And what happens is you just let that go. Ministries, whatever. And you give that gift back. Family, children, gift from the Lord. You give it back. And then he touches your surrender and makes it into something that he can dwell in a whole different way. It's actually his financial system works the same way. I really hope that we can begin to understand that as God's people when we give it back because the prize is Him. It genuinely is Him. But He has to work on your heart. He has to touch your heart. You cannot make that happen. Who knows? You can try. He begins to touch your heart. He begins to touch your heart. And you're like, Lord, you're everything. You're my everything. You can take whatever. And then He touches it. It's actually the way... You go from receiving a spiritual gift. The Bible says the fivefold ministry, apostle, prophet, pastor, uh, teacher, evangelist, he says they are gifts to the church. They become a gift. And it came after that verse. Well, you go from carrying a gift and you just say, Lord, it's actually yours anyway. And he says, all right, son, I'm going to touch that. You're not going to carry it. You are going to be it. Amen. 
whole different world, whole different type of relationship. So anyway, that was last week. I encourage you, it's just such a powerful relationship. The move of God's spirit is always about the heart, always, 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 and we went into that last week. It really is. Many things will happen, revivals, awakenings, power, healing, signs and wonders, but it's about the heart. God is after the heart. He's after the heart. When Jesus came, it says he came to reveal the Father. They didn't yet know that they would have the possibility of having a relationship with the Lord. We have to begin to understand that we read this in hindsight. They did not have it in hindsight. So Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so he was saying, I'm showing you what God is really like, because he's not like you think. So that if it ever became possible for you to have a relationship with him, you would see him in the right light. This is what God's like. So if it became possible, you would know what he's actually like. You've seen me, you've seen the Father, you've seen my heart, you've seen how I am with people, you see how I never turn people away, you see how I love. This is who the Father is. And then he proceeded to remove every impediment and made that possible. That's what he did. He removed every impediment to a genuine and open personal relationship with God and called and invited us into that fellowship. Amen. So... And that's why he defines eternal life as knowing God. As knowing God. Genuinely knowing God. That's an in, it was an intimate term. Very, very intimate. So, I want to speak to you a little bit about, about what does it mean to know God. I know we started last week. This week we're going to do a little bit more of a teaching. But knowing God, what does that mean? How do I build a relationship with Him? Or, or, or what does it mean to know God? First thing we have to understand is that it's going to be a spiritual relationship. It just is. The Bible says God is spirit and must be worshipped in spirit. And so we have this concept of, in Genesis, when it says God came and walked in the cool of the day, you know that, that verse? That word cool is the word spirit. It's the actual same word when it says the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. He came to Adam in the Spirit. Adam walked in the Spirit. It's a spiritual relationship. And so God, uh, give you a few verses. John 3, 3. Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You cannot, you cannot understand. You cannot see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. You cannot know God unless you're saved. That's why you cannot convince someone here, friends. You cannot debate someone into the kingdom because someone will just debate them out of it. It's a supernatural relationship. It's a spiritual relationship. Another one, 1 Corinthians 2.14, but the, the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them. Nor can he know them. Because they are spiritually discerned. You know 1 Corinthians 12. It's a famous text about the gifts. And verse 1 in most of your Bibles, if you have one, you can go there and you'll see it. It says, now about spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. Yeah? The word gifts is not there in the original. I know that's what the text is about and it comes later. It does say gifts later. What it says in the original, it says, now about the spiritual brethren. I do not want you to be ignorant about the spiritual, about something that you cannot see. There's a realm that created this realm. There's a realm that's more real than this. Then this realm will wrap up like a scroll and pass away. So I want you to understand that realm. And then he talks about various gifts and empowerments and so forth. It's a spiritual relationship. 
And it's the part of us, it's the part of us, we have a triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and we are made up of what? Body, soul, and spirit. The spirit is the part that has communion and fellowship with God. Why? Because your spirit is perfect. There's no sin there. That's where you're perfectly holy. There's nothing, there's no issue with your spirit. You can have divine communion, open fellowship with God, even though sometimes our life is interesting because that's still happening in our soul life. That's the part that has open communion and fellowship with God. God is spirit and must be worshipped in spirit. And yet, most, well not most, many believers still get nervous about what I'm talking about. It's like, I'm mm, not so sure I'm comfortable with all that spiritual stuff. But yet it's the part of you that is given for fellowship. Deep calls to deep. Spirit calls to spirit. It's the part of you that relates to him. It's the part of us that died in the garden. If you eat of this tree, you will die. We all know he didn't die. He still had a soul because he still had emotions. He still had to think. He still, but his spirit died. When you got saved, your spirit is born again, is created new. Now that you can have fellowship, relationship with God. That's what it is to be a Christian. It really, really is. That's actually what it means to walk in the Spirit. When you walk in the Spirit, it's not this holy... Oh, it's not, some people think, oh, he walks in the Spirit. No, it's not that. To walk in the Spirit, actually, what it, it affects the other two. The other two come under governance, come under authority of your, your soul, which is your emotions, your mind, the way you think, your intellect, your will, your ability to make a decision. Choices, they're very important. All those things begin to come under your spirit, even your body. Some people are more naturally sensitive in their body. So when the, we become aware of the presence of God, you know, it's always those people, same people. They just, they, you can see a dramatic manifestation. They're more sensitive that way. Some people are more sensitive or more aware of God in the emotions and the straightaway tears and some in the mind. Great revelation. But it comes from your spirit. Your body will be put off one day, but your spirit is eternal. You are an eternal being. And it's that part that has communication, communion with the Lord. But we like get, I don't know what that means. It's actually very simple. The goal of it, the, the purpose of it, is that His will governs your will. Not in a way with legalism, guilt, or shame, but a love relationship. Because you know Him and He knows you. And you know that whatever He says is best for you, even if you don't understand or if it's difficult, it's always going to lead to freedom because He is truth and truth sets free. So your, His will begins to govern your will. And it's not like, okay, it's not like that. It's actually freedom. It's genuine freedom. And it's even spiritual gifts. It's like this. People say, you know, I, I want to have word of knowledge, or I want to work on that gift. I want to work on this gift, because we love the gifts. But the Bible says the Spirit gives it to each one, or distributes to each one, as He wills. So it's not actually up to you. So even your gifts are a relational issue. You with me? So I'm walking in the Spirit. His will is governing my will. He's in charge. And we're walking in the Spirit. Very naturally, just, it's not the spiritual. We're just walking, and he says, you know, this person here, word of knowledge. 
But you know, when you start, when you're walking with the Lord in the beginning, it's just like when you're a child. When I call my son, it's not, hey, Michael, come here. It's Michael, 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 Michael. Yes, Dad. It's like that. It's like that. And so that's why when you start, it's like the power of God comes. You feel the presence and you, and God's getting your attention. And you're just like, wow, I'm the next Billy Graham. And, and he says, okay, I got your attention. Okay, this person here, need, just, can you just love them? And then you walk, oh, this one, this one, hey, this one, hey, 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 what a knowledge. That's like, it, it's how it is for ch- children. Psalm 16, you know when you've been married for a little while, and you're in the same room, or you have a best friend, or whatever, it's just the eye, just, you know exactly what's just being communicated. Psalm 16 says, the desire of the Lord is to guide you with mine eye. It's a relationship, but it's not up to you. It's as he wills. It's actually how heaven comes. We all love the phrase, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. But he told us how. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, his will is never contested. It's never, it's never up for debate. And so when we, through a relationship, you cannot do it through legalism, you cannot do it through shame, you cannot even do it through discipline. Those things help, but the Spirit of God becomes to touch your heart, and He puts a liquid heart, He melts your hard heart in front of you, inside you, and He begins to work with you, and His will begins to govern your will, and it's freedom, and now you're beginning to walk in the Spirit. And so heaven invades wherever you are. Leonard Ravenhill says, Revival is the Spirit's passion within the believer to know and obey the will of God. That's what it is. It's really that simple. But it's, if you love me, you'll obey me. It's not you'll obey me because you think I'm going to destroy you. It's an obedience that comes from a knowledge of who God says he is. What about spiritual worship? Spiritual worship. Can you go to Mark chapter 7? That'll be great. By the time Jesus came to the earth, most of what was given for relationship to his covenanted people, fasting, prayer, worship, had become a means of self-exaltation. Almost everything that had been given to God's people for this relational connection had become a means of exalting self. What I mean, Jesus said to them about fa- the, the Pharisees used to fast Mondays and Thursdays. They used to disfigure their faces and do it in the open. Look how holy I am. Look how much I'm suffering. You know, Jesus had words to say about that. It, it had become a point of spiritual pride, but fasting had actually been given to put off the flesh to come into communion with the Lord. Even prayer, Jesus said to them in Matthew 6, stop praying like pagans, standing on street corners and babbling in vain repetition. They had had so lost fellowship with the Lord, think about this, that they had to copy how pagans prayed. Because the relationship, the fellowship was gone. Was gone. Wasn't there. So they are left with form without power, form without love. Yeah? Yeah? Jesus said, yeah, that's, you've missed it. And then it comes to worship. We're going to read a little bit about that. Mark 7, I'm going to go to verse 1. It says, yeah, then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, having 
come from Jerusalem. Now when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is, with unwashed hands, they found fault. Of course they did. What a surprise. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. When they came, and they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And not, not that you shouldn't do that. It's, it's good to wash your hands before you eat. Kind of, kind of makes sense. And there are many other things which they have received, and that does not received from the Lord that received, that's received as they've passed down. Many other things they have received and hold, like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and couches. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? You know, sometimes when you read the Bible, you want to shout an answer back into time. I wanted to say, because they're called to walk in the Spirit. But they couldn't hear me, so I tried. I did try. But then the Pharisees and scribes said, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? And he, said, and he answered and said this to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? That's not nice. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart, God is a God of the heart, their heart is far from me, the passion says, while their heart runs away. Teaching, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, and I'll explain that, the washing of pitchers and cups and many other such things you do. He said to them, all too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your traditions. Then he gives an example, which we won't go into, and verse 13, he gives the result. Making the word of God of no effect. That's a crazy verse. That word is logos. Making the logos, the written word, of no effect, meaning in the heart. Through your tradition, which you have handed down and many such things you do. The traditions that they're talking about is something that they had added to Scripture. It's, it's traditions that they had become enamored with, they had become more consumed with than actually what Mo, than the law of Moses, because they were still under the law. They had added all these traditions. They had added to God's way. They had added all these other Jewish traditions that were actually not in Scripture. And then they burdened people with them. And so what happens is these traditions were not the traditions of the elder. So what happens is Jesus said, when you do that, when you take man's tradition and add it onto who I am, because I gave the scripture to reveal my nature, when you add it onto who I am, it will destroy worship of me because it colors what they think I'm like. That's exactly what happens. It says, so even when you worship, you worship in vain. It's lip service. Bible says God is seeking worshipers. You know, God seeks you too. God is seeking, looking for worshipers who will worship in spirit and in truth. Truth of who he is. Truth that sets free. The Old Testament version of that is the Lord's eyes are searching to and fro across the earth to see whose hearts are fully his. It's the same thing, different covenant, but it's the same thing. So what happens is when we take traditions of man and we teach them as doctrine, let's get uncomfortable, that's exciting. Go to church like this. Church must look like this. You must dress like this. You must worship like this. You must pray at this time. You must do this. Where? <laughs> it's a relationship. 
It's a genuine, open fellowship, spirit-to-spirit, heart-to-heart relationship. And tradition kills real worship. And he says this, laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, you hold it above. Because you more desire have people be impressed by you than actually your relationship with the Lord. That's what was going on. What is the commandment of God he's talking about? Love. When they asked the Lord, what's the most important command? He said, love. Love the Lord, love each other. Love. Laying aside love, you exalt, you lift up the traditions of men in religious ways. That, Unless it's a revelation to this person, friends, even if it's sometimes now, it has to be their relationship. It has to be revealed. I cannot take something that God's shown me and force it upon him. Even if it's truth, we can pray for him. We can show him. But I'm not the Holy Spirit. I got to let him come to it in his own relationship. Knowing God is knowing love. Because God is love. God is spirit. God is love and God is spirit. And it's that love that changes you from the inside out. That's a relationship. Jesus defined eternal life as knowing God. Very important. So what does it mean when it says it makes the word of God of no effect? It doesn't take the authority away from the word. Nothing can. Nothing can. Nothing can. It's like this. It means that you can read the Bible, but it doesn't seem to carry any meaning and power in your own heart that it does when that person reads it. Because we've become so familiar, we just, it's going through the motions. I read, and then I, then I pray, and then I, okay, I'm done. Phew, now I can get on with my life. It's not your life. His will governs your will. I, I trust I'm coming across in a way, friends, it's exciting. It's, I was praying, spent a couple hours the other day just in prayer and just the presence of God invaded my office. And I just began to cry to God for our city, for the nation. For, and he said to me so deep in my heart, the fight right now is over what Christianity is. Because it's been lost. It's what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a son, a daughter of God? With relationship, how blessed it is to be called sons, children of God, 1 John 3. There's a fight over what that is. Because there's a lot of religious stuff. Void of power, void of love. Yeah? I encourage you with your children, raise them in God's way. Teach them in God's way. But also allow them to meet Him their way. You, we have, allow them to be it their own way. This is the very thing that happened to Paul. Paul the Apostle, the great Apostle Paul. We can go into his history and old rabbinical writings and stuff written about him. They said they had one of the most brilliant minds of a very young boy. His father was the Pharisee in charge of his whole area. He was, his father was supreme. But I think it was nine or ten they said he couldn't teach him anymore. So he sent him to the school which Gamaliel led. Actually, it was another guy and Gamaliel took over from him. And he was schooled. He was brilliant. He was beyond many people. Extremely gifted. Ext- given by God, yeah? By God. Yet, the Bible says what? Galatians 1. It's very interesting. 
Verse 13, 14, you've heard of my, Paul speaking, you've heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure. You know, sometimes we exaggerate the Bible does not. He persecuted the church of God, which is people, beyond their measure to go back and count. <laughs> and it says, and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for what? The traditions of my fathers. It's the same word, paradosis. <laughs> Everything he did, he did as worship unto the Lord. He believed he was doing the right thing. He was not spiritually discerned. With all his brilliance, he missed it completely. Completely. He came against and destroyed the very God that he thought he was worshiping by doing that. Isn't that crazy? That's what happened to Paul. Was, the spirit was not alive. He knew this. You had to off by heart. By heart. By heart. But he could not see Jesus when he stood in front. He could not see God. He, could not, he didn't have any spiritual discernment with what God was doing. None. He separated women and children, killed women and men, separated families. He was likened unto Isis. And then God invaded his heart. And it's very interesting when God knocks him off his high horse, which is the way I like to say it, because many of us need that. I, we need it. God knocks him off. He doesn't say, I am the Christ, I am the Messiah. Messiah says, I am Jesus of Nazareth. You know that guy? I'm him. He says, I'm that guy that you, you know. And what happened is he moved from religion, from traditions to love to a love relationship, to a genuine relationship with God, with Jesus. He fell in love with Jesus. Now his expression of worship changed. In Acts 16, when he was in the prison with Silas, it says they had beaten him with rods, and once he had received many stripes, he began to worship. And it says the foundations of the prison shook, and all the people's chains fell off. That's a different type of worship. Same man. Same man. Not here, spirit. But this is good. God took that and used it. And that's why we have the New Testament largely. God turned it. Education is very good. Amen? I'm going to give you very quickly something about spiritual authority. In Isaiah 29, it's actually where Mark 7, it says when Isaiah speaks of you, he says, right, we just, he just said that, Jesus. He's quoting Isaiah 29. And Isaiah 29, just before that verse that he quotes, it says this. You bring the scroll to those who are learned or to those who are literate, meaning the religious leaders. It was the, the religious leaders of the day. And he say, please read this for us. And they say, they reply, this I'm just quoting Isaiah 29. They reply, we cannot for it is sealed. You know, like an old wax seal? And so then you take it and you take it to the illiterate, the unlearned, and you say, can you do it? The point is this, Revelations 5, who is worthy to open the scroll? 
who is worthy to break its seals. In, in those days, in Isaiah's day, you had to be given. It was an authority issue. You had to be sitting in the right seat of authority. You had to be authority to the person who marked it. Only certain people with certain types of authority could, were allowed to break that seal. If it was broken by someone who wasn't in authority, there was consequences. The people who they bring it to, the literate, the learned, the religious leaders, they said, King, those were the people with authority. They actually were. They were the people who were allowed to. They had been delegated the authority to open it. And they said, we cannot because it is sealed. What is Isaiah saying? You can be given technical authority. Don't mean this against any of the people here because they're all wonderful. You can be a pastor, an elder. You can be given technical authority. You can sit in a certain seat of authority and yet have no spiritual authority. Because genuine spiritual authority is released or, or realized through relationship. Through relationship. It's the overflow of your life. Authority. Delegated by God. That's why mediacy is the major attack of the enemy all through history. What do I mean by mediacy? The devil will constantly try to put mediators between people and God. He'll make up any fancy-sounding doctrine to try to put a person in between you and God. It was God's original desire to speak to all of the people of, of Israel. They said, no, we're afraid you speak to Moses. God, Moses, people. What's it today? God pastor, people. What should it be? God, you know, the Father, His children, because of Jesus. Because if He can do that, the relationship's lost. And everything that you have technically, walking in the Spirit, you can have gifts, the authority that you sit in, the brilliance of your mind, everything that you have will not actually carry what it can and what it should. It's just a name. What do I do? I can hear the question. That's great. What do I do? Because you know the answers, right? Read the Word, worship, and prayer. Big deal. Every single one of those, relational. We're like, okay, yeah, but we know that, but we do it. We'll, we'll continue to do that. That's helpful. But I believe with all my heart, just something that God's dropped to my heart just over the last little while, is God's going to start to invade some of your lives in a new way. He's been speaking to me about that for a while. He's going to start invading some of your hearts. He genuinely is. I know that. I don't expect you to know that, but I know that. And I'm seeing it happen already. Mark 2, it says, And again he entered Capernaum, verse 1, after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. This scripture for me, a number of years ago, because now I'm trying to make it a bit practical and personal to you, is the prayer that I used to pray, and I know your version might say it different, but we're reading my one, so it's okay. This scripture is, I've always prayed, Lord, let any growth that comes in the church be because of this, because people hear that Jesus is in the house, that his presence is back in his house. That's the reason. It says, again he heard, again he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. And immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. And then they came to him bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And we know what happened. They broke the roof and they covered the roof and they messed this guy's house up. 
And the point is this, is that point five is just simply, Jesus, please come in. Jesus, please come in. Into your home. Bible says the Son of Man had no place to rest his head. Why? Because everyone loved to go out to him to receive miracles and healing, but they didn't want him in their home, because in their home, things now have to change. It affects the marriage, it affects the parenting, it affects, and we think he's going to expose, he's going to hurt, he's going to show everyone my real heart. No, when you invite him in, and it's real, be careful, because he'll come. But when you invite him in, you'll, you'll suddenly realize his love and his affection. It's, it's Jesus, come into my home, come into my home. What happened? Well, all of a sudden, people, other people started coming there, and that will happen. Now your little lovely private life is like, well, now people want to be at your house all the time. And they might break your stuff. <laughs> and then there's now sick people all over the place. That's what happened. When you give what you have back, it's the same principle. Lord, I give you my home. He says, okay, I'll touch it and make it a vessel, a place from where my word can go forth from. But that's some of the stuff that comes with it. But it doesn't matter anymore. Luke 5. Invite him into your boat. People say, what? That's weird. What is a boat? Let's read. So it was Luke 5, 1. It was as the multitude pressed about him to, again to hear the word of God. That he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and they were washing their nets. A boat, it was their vocation. It was their career. Or it could be your ministry. It, it's just simply a vehicle. They had been fishing all night. They had been working and had nothing to show for it until Jesus steps in. Let's see what happens. He says, And he saw two boats standing by the lake, and the fishermen had gone from them, and they were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from land, and he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking... It's good news. So they signaled to the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled the boats so that they began to sink. When Simon saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. And the others who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken, and so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, the partners. And he says, Do not be afraid, for now you will catch men. What happened? Jesus, when I say invite God into your home, It'll change your home. It'll change your marriage. It'll change your, the way you think. It'll change the way you relate to your children. He just needs a small little invitation. When I talk about a boat, I'm talking about maybe you lead a ministry. Maybe you're an elder. Maybe whatever. Maybe you've been in ministry before. Maybe you have a certain gift. Maybe it's actually their career. And then Jesus steps in. Once he got into the boat... <laughs> Simon never gave another command. He never gave another order. Because when Jesus steps into your career, when Jesus steps into your life, in actual fact, your life, your career, everything that you do, when you invite him into it, you're no longer in charge. He has final say, not you. 
it's hard to do that if you don't trust him, yeah? It's hard to do that if there's no relationship. It's hard to do that if you're like, well, I don't know what you're going to do with it. But it's saying, God, I give it back. I'm inviting you into my career. I'm inviting you in, into my workplace. I'm inviting you into my ministry. You come. You step in. It says, but it was Simon's boat. They had paid for this boat. It cost them money. Without it, they, had no, they couldn't make a living. But it says, Jesus stepped in the boat. And then he says this. It says, he taught the multitudes. Your boat, your ministry, your workplace, your career becomes a vehicle for God, not for you. It's a massive shift. And I know some of you, I'm being real, may think this is unrealistic. I'm telling you, he wants a relationship, not on Sunday. He wants relationship with you. And he's better than you think. He's good. He's good. He's loving. He is power. It just may not come like you think. And he says this, launch out into the deep. What does that mean? Go past the point where, oh, if I fall out, I can still, I can, man, I can manage it on my own. When you ask God into your life, he will cause you to go to a place where trust is required, where you no longer have control. He will cause you to go there. He will. And it's exciting. It's actually exciting. That's why I say, don't pray the prayer that we're about to pray. <laughs> because that will happen. He'll say, let's go over here. But Lord, the business is over there. No, no, a, let's go over here. I'm not looking up because I'm trusting you're smiling. And he says, he says, let down your nets. What's that? He says, Lord, we've done this all night. You know, when the Lord steps into your life, when the Lord steps into your boat for a genuine relationship, you do what you've done before, but there's a different result. Lord, we've done this over and over and over and over and over. He says, like, yeah, but I'm telling you to do it. And that makes all the difference. And it's not like... Uh, we think Peter was a man of great faith because he said, well, at your word. There wasn't faith there because why was he shocked? It was more like, <laughs> like us because he hadn't had the revelation, Jesus, the Messiah, the Son, that hadn't happened. This is the first, this is his, he's meeting Jesus. This is Peter's call. Okay, you can use my boat to teach the people. Push out a little from land. Okay. I'm still in charge, but I'll listen to you. Go into the deep. Okay. Very willing, you see. Goes into the deep, and he says, now cast your nets. And it's like, master, calls him master. We've been doing this all night. Nothing's happened. I'm the fisherman. You're a carpenter, maybe prophet or something. I'm the fisherman. Jesus, I'll see you on Sunday. I'm going to go work now. See that? It's very interesting. Same thing. Lord, th that's my job. That, that's, that's me. And then the pastor and you will do you. But that's me. Let him step into your boat. <laughs> what happens? We know what happens. They get more fish than they can handle. 
Why? Because when you give it back, as I said, you become the gift. They became a blessing, now they can bless others. That is God's way. And then he says, depart from me for my sinful man. He says he saw it. When Peter saw it, he fell down. Depart from me. Why? He didn't see it. He saw what happened, but he didn't see it. He saw his own heart. He saw the severe state that we all struggle. He saw the severe state of unbelief. He saw this desperation of what just happened. And you know, it's like us to think, I'm not worthy. We all think like that. I'm not worthy of this. So you go over there because you being around me will affect you badly. I can't pray like that. I can't think like that. I, I'm not like that. I, I struggle and I... Depart from me, Lord. Go away from me. <laughs> and it's interesting that he said to Peter, don't be afraid. He was terrified. Because he had seen something supernatural in the natural of which he, an area that he was an expert in. He was an expert. It was his field. God showed up in his field. God showed up in his boat. God will show up in his house. That's, that's relationship, friends. That's knowing God. That's a genuine relationship. And you know what he realized? The love of God. Despite how my heart was, this still happened. You know what Jesus says? He says, go away. He says, no, I am leaving, Peter. But you're coming with me. He says, you and me, we're a team now. That's what happens. He says, you want me? Yeah, yeah, we're a team. I'm going to teach you to do this. I'm going to teach you to be like I am. We're a team. I believe in you, Peter. I believe in your future. Because we're a team. I want to encourage you, when Jesus steps in, <laughs> I'll just put it this way. He has final say. He will use it for his purposes. He will take you where trust is required. But then when you do what you've done before, you will be blessed to be a blessing. You will see your heart for real. His love will be revealed, but you realize he believes in your future. Friends, there is a relationship that God is desiring with his people in this nation again, in a whole new light. Can we stand?